As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Wednesday, October 18th here on the Just Baseball Show, and the Phillies absolutely dominated the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's Arm Layden. I'm Peter Apple. We're going to recap the whole thing and preview game three of the ALCS between the Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers. And it's all brought to you by the King of Sportsbooks. That is BetMGM. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account using promo code JustBaseball. Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER and must be 21 or older. Aram, we talked about a pre-record. This is going to be a relatively shorter episode because, and we even posted in our on our Instagram. If you guys go check that out at Just Baseball Show, we posted a graphic that just says Phillies graphic. They hit the piss out of all the baseballs. LOL, yeah. and that's yeah. basically the recap. It, it, we could, we, it was one of those where we could get the graph like the graphic team. Uh, going pretty early, right? Like Brandon, Brandon's able to kind of cook it up a little bit earlier because it, we kind of knew what, what was going to happen here. Uh, that that sucks from uh, from a baseball standpoint, but sometimes through the postseason, man, it's nice when we know what's going to happen by like the third or fourth inning. We're able to plan ahead a little bit uh, and get get to recording. But I will say, like this was this was just another statement. I mean, it, how many times can we say the same thing? But it just seems like they continue to outdo themselves. And what's most fascinating about it is uh, Merrill Kelly was fine. You know, he wasn't really bad. He scattered three solo shots and then, you know, another earned run from an inherited base runner for Joe Mansupply who got shelled. But like Merrill Kelly was fine that even when your starters are decent, the Phillies will grind you out. And then the second they get somebody that's a little bit more, more vulnerable, they tee off three on Mansupply, three on Ryan Nelson game over. Game over. And I was going to also compliment Merrill Kelly, too. That's what I was prepared to do. But then I looked at the box score. Obviously, we watched the game. He pitched okay. Yeah. I mean, you give up three home runs to the Phillies in five innings, scattered a couple of outs here and there. He pitched okay, but it's not like he pitched all that great. And he had a lot on his shoulders, yeah. right? Those comments that he made. I don't know why he did that. I don't know why he did that either. So the comments that he made basically was the, 
it, it's it's hard to kind of wrap into words what he said because it was so it was right what he said, but it was just such horrible timing. Yeah, it was it was basically along the lines of the the WBC game that he was a part of was the loudest thing in the world, and he doesn't see how Great American Ballpark could you know really top that. And you know he he might be right, he might not. I don't know. I. I, I think the WBC was extremely loud and it was a dome and there's other aspects to that, but like Arm, we were there. I was also there for that NL, yeah, you NLDS tell, you game tell me, man. You tell I, me. Yeah, those comments, like he wasn't wrong because we were there for the Venezuela game. We were yeah, there was for USA it was, versus it Japan. Was, it was loud. Super, super loud. It did not feel like that game. When I came on here and we were talking about my experience, I said the only game that that could compare to was the WBC in terms of the volume in the room. But in terms of the pressure that those fans were putting on, you can't quantify that. You can say, well, the decibels might have been similar. The pressure they put on you in the bullpen before the game, when yeah. those fans are outstretched over just talking so much shit, yeah. especially to Spencer Schrider. And after Merrill Kelly makes those comments, of course, they're coming after his He head. wanted it, though. I mean, he wanted the smoke. I, I really no, you don't. It. You don't want the smoke. I don't even respect it because it just puts you in such an a horrible situation because you either have to dominate, you have to throw a no hitter or they're going to get after you. And I think all baseball fans knew once Trey Turner hit that home run and looked towards the dugout, that game was over. They got to him by the second batter. So he put undue pressure on himself for no good reason. And I saw a lot of people arguing, well, he wasn't wrong. Okay. Yeah. Don't say it. What are we doing? I, so it's funny. I, I I do wonder, like, I thought he was pretty stoic and seemed very relaxed. He gave, was giving me some, like, Zach Granke vibes in terms of, like, the body language, the baggy jersey, the shoulders kind of, like, sitting. I, I don't know if he was really phased. I think he just got beat three times by really good no, hitters. Because, like, you know, if he, he, phased, if he but... had folded, you know, where it was like, oh, he starts to lose his command. He starts walking guys. He, he looks shaky. He did have three walks, but, again, scattered them, like, I definitely would have been like, okay, what did he ask for? But at the same time, it's like there was nothing to gain other than lighting a fire under himself, maybe. Like that was like the classic, just like egging them on kind of thing. And, you know, he did that. And, you know, I love it because it's just you're literally throwing a match into just a puddle of oil when you do that. And I think that's a lot of fun. Uh, I like egging on these these great American ballpark fans. These Phillies fans have been a lot of fun to watch. I, I mean, and and someone mentioned like the two syllable names, like, how they just wear you out like Kelly, Kelly, Kelly. And they did the same thing with Strider. They did the same thing. Like they'll just yell at you and keep repeating your name and, and, and it mounts. But um, yeah, I thought Merrill held his own. He gave him a shot. He, five and two thirds again, three. He left all the runner on like that. They didn't score at all. And and really, I think you can talk about the the offense quickly feeling like they could put the game out of reach. But I thought once Aaron Nola put that third zero up, that also really made the feel, made the game feel out of reach because it was like once he put that third zero up and you saw him cruising and he's super efficient. He's I mean, his sinker was just running today. And it's like, who's going to barrel that? And I think at that point, it really felt like, OK, this is this is a much more monumental lead than two runs. You know, when he put up the the the, the third zero and then you get another run from the Phillies going into the fourth. I was like, how are they going to get to this? Like, how are they how are they going to get no out of here? And then when they do, you know. Again, it's been the recipe for the Phillies. They get six from the starter or five and change. They're fine going the final three. They, they've had no problem. And today, the, the game got so out of hand that it was Hoffman, Strom, Kirkering, but they would have been fine with whatever three. Um, they just seem to have the recipe right now, and their starters have just been magnificent. Aaron Nola, yet another big balls performance at the bank. Sometimes you can tell with Aaron Nola that he's on by just watching the first inning. He's yeah. throwing that front door two-seamer like you're talking about and then breaking off that knuckle curve and using just all of his other four pitches for strikes. Yeah. I thought a perfect example was when he froze Tommy Pham with that two-seamer that was right down the middle, but yeah. it definitely didn't look middle for Pham. That thing broke like a foot. His two-seamer averaged 93.8 miles an hour, one of the highest marks of the entire season, and we're in the middle of October. October. Could yeah. tell Marte was his only problem. He held the rest of that Diamondbacks team to one hit in six innings, 
Nola now has a 0.96 ERA this postseason. In five postseason starts at Citizens Bank, 157 ERA. He's from Louisiana, but you could tell Philly has brought him in and oh, he yeah. has completely found this new home. And apparently they were way off on contract talks this winter. Maybe that stretch is getting him closer oh. to Nola's number. That was what my question was going to be because I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, you look at the free agent market. If you're not going after Yamamoto and you know maybe one or two other guys, you'll see Jaymont. You know that's another guy if they they want another lefty in the fold. I wonder if they pay Aaron Nola. And I'll be honest, I I this is a guy that's broke all of our brains. You talk about the expected stats, the inconsistency, but consistently at least available and never giving you. No bad seasons. It's just sometimes you're like, man, he's better than that. But showing up here in this postseason, and assuming he does it one more time, I mean, that's got to instill a lot of confidence in in any team that picks him up potentially or wants to make him an offer. Is like, it just seems like every time you're wondering of, oh, is he going to start to be more of that four ZRA guy or that high threes? Then he just gets himself right back into, oh yeah, that's that frontline guy that we know he can be. Maybe, maybe not the ace, but a really good number two. And they've got their number one. So I thought this was a really impressive statement start. And again, you can kind of see what the adrenaline does and and what the what the stadium does for him and and what it does for these pitchers. I mean, all of their stuff is up, and I think that's a big part of it too. He was just ripping balls harder than he ever does, and also, or at least harder than we've seen most of the year with more movement, as you mentioned, and then everything else just played up off of that. It was really impressive to see. And also, you mentioned his only problem was Cattell Marte. Cattell Marte is just a whole ass problem right now. Like, it's absolutely wild that uh, they aren't able to score with the way that he's been swinging the bat. And, and I know he was one of the guys that was doing well for them. But, I mean, it is so fun to watch him hit. That was my one side takeaway that I wanted to discuss. I was like, I mean, I know you've been a Cattell Marte fan for a long time, but he's just been so good all year. And I feel like if he was – he's one of those classic guys, if you put him in a big market – he'd be so much more hyped up. I don't think people realize how nasty this guy is, especially with what he can do from both sides of the plate, hit for average, hit for power. He can run. Uh, he's going to have to really continue to, to go off for them to have a chance the rest of the series. And I mean, he's been holding up his end of the bargain. Yeah, as a Yankee fan, Cattell Marte is the guy who's always been on my wish list, dating yeah. even back a couple of years, and I've always been hyping him up. Of course, the emergence of Glaber Torres, and you got Volpe, and you got Peraza, but this isn't a Yankee show. This is supposed to be highlighting the greatness right now of Cattell Marte. And in 11 postseason games for Cattell Marte, OPS over 1,000. This season, 127 WRC+. plus That ranked third among second basemen with at least 400 plate appearances. And his 4.2 F war ranks second. This guy is a perennial top five second baseman in the game. He's dealt a couple seasons with injuries. Yeah. And of course, the number. Numbers have been slided because of that, but we see the talent. He's so freaky. He's so twitchy and hitting from both sides of the plate too. He doesn't have splits problems, right? No. He gets hits off lefties, hits off righties. He's a good defender. He's even played in the outfield for them too, but they don't need him in the outfield, of course, because they have three, as they said on the broadcast, stallions running around there. The Diamondbacks are hit an historically great defense. Yeah. So they just need him to play second base, but he plays also a fantastic second base. He's just a fantastic player. Yeah. The issue is he's the only yeah. one who showed up for the Diamondbacks today offensively. Yeah, and it, they just seem like a young team in a lot of ways, and they, they got bullied. It, you know, it's funny. They've been a team that looked the opposite for a while now, and things were clicking really well. And then even today when when you saw that that fly ball drop in the infield, it was just like, oh, man, like what what's going on? And then in you have front Schwarber. Of Longoria of yeah, all and that people, was, the veteran. Yeah super weird. And then, I mean, Schwarber getting, from, I know it was, the game was already pretty out of reach, but then Schwarber gets from first to third on a ground ball, hard hit ground ball into right field where I'm like, but Corbin he but was kind of waddling over there. He's yeah. still waddling over there. Like you gotta, you gotta get him. Yeah. So like, there was just little things like that where I felt like they kind of checked out early and you wonder how early was it? Was it in, you know, the third, probably not, but it seems like by the six, they definitely, you know, you know, checked out there. And I wonder to see how they bounce back from that because this is only going to get more difficult for them. I I know that the Phillies don't have Noah or Wheeler going next game, but I mean, you just had your two best guys going. It's a big drop off from one and two to Brandon Font and whoever else they might mix in there. So 
I mean, this was the one they needed, and I thought this was the one that they had a chance at. It was always going to be hard against Wheeler. This, of course, was going to be hard regardless, and I know it's it's on the road at the bank, but you know, you feel like there's a chance that Merrill Kelly can match Aaron Nola. If, if everything is on for Kelly and Nola you know, isn't clicking on all cylinders, you feel like there's a potential there. I don't feel nearly as confident. I know he looked better last time, but the Brandon Fott's going to match. You know, whoever else, Ranger Suarez, whoever else they decide to throw in there. I just I don't think that's going to happen with the way that, you know, the Phillies are swinging it right now. So this was the one they really needed. And now it's it's looking bleak. The good news is, you know, they, they got a chance to to go back home. But I I don't know, man, I, how how much are you putting stock into this one game? Or do you think they can kind of turn the page here and find a way to get the bass going back at home? I do think the Diamondbacks can turn the page here. I think they ran into a juggernaut. And that is the Philadelphia Phillies at Citizens Bank Park. Nobody can beat them there. So I'm I'm not putting a ton of stock into those two wins. They ran into playoff Wheeler, one of the greatest postseason pitchers ever. Then they ran into Nola, who's on a historic track at Citizens Bank Park. Merrill Kelly pitched fine. Then they threw in a bunch of, yeah, with all due respect to all-star Joe Mantiply bottom of the barrel bullpen arms. Like when you see Ryan Nelson coming in, yeah, the game's probably over. So that score didn't really yeah. do the Diamondbacks justice. And then they're playing from behind, right? They even pinch hit Corbin Carroll at the end there. So the the score, I don't think, is indicative of the Diamondbacks being that much worse than the Phillies. Fair. Now, the Phillies on the road, right? Because what have we said about Gallon and Kelly and all these Diamondbacks guys, they're really good at chase field, but you get them on the road. That's when they can get yeah. killed. And that's why we were very, you know, adamant right. on the Phillies dominating at home and yeah. ultimately winning this series, because I think we saw that, but I'm still sticking by my Phillies in six. Mm-hmm. It's not looking great, but I would not be surprised if the Diamondbacks pulled off a couple of wins here. Right now. I feel like they might go back to that feeling against the Dodgers. We got nothing to lose. Yeah. I feel like they going out East. I thought Jimmy Rollins um, after the game broke it down really well. I only caught a couple of seconds of it, but the gist of it was it's a West coast team. They're very young. They play the Dodgers. And I know they played a couple of games against the Brewers, but they play the Dodgers. Then they go to Philly, right? Merrill Kelly hasn't stepped on the mound at citizens bank park since 2019. This team's just not used to playing in Philly. Now back at home, I think the bats are a little bit more comfortable. You don't got to deal with Wheeler and Nola at home. You got Ranger, who is great, but is beatable. And Brandon fought, to his credit, looked Last great against good. the Dodgers. Yeah. So if he's finding it a little bit, and this team's playing with nothing to lose, I'm not counting out the Diamondbacks out yet. Well, However, when they go back to Citizens Bank Park, yeah. it, it is then over. Yeah. But in terms of winning at home, I still think they can maybe pull off one or two wins here. Some numbers to, to back that. So you mentioned the pitchers just generally being better. Brandon Fott specifically. I mean, it's bad and bad, but 6-4-6 six, six at home is, is really interesting. And he's like the one guy that's had the reverse split. So you're hoping that he can build off of that because it just sucks how but it lined up But isn't that also, it's, it's so early on in his season, right? He had like a 9 ERA because he made like six starts and yeah. gave up and then, 30 runs in four of them. Yeah, which is, yeah, that's that's the big problem. And also he's just a... A susceptible to home run type guy. And, and if you can keep it Not in the ideal. yard, it can be better. If it, also, I have a note on the Phillies, which is nuts. But to your point about the the offense, 50 points higher in OPS at home. So, you know, it, if it get if it turns into a slugfest, there's a better chance of them being able to match, you know, the Phillies at home. And I think that's a big part of it as well. So I do think the bats are going to wake up. I'm with you there. I'm just wondering how on earth he's going to be able to get outs. But I think I think Brandon Fott can find a way. As you mentioned, he was better last time out. Uh, it's it's really the long ball. That's how the Phillies are beating teams right now. It's not like they're stringing together a ton of hits. I mean, they're they're hitting the ball, but I'm pretty sure twenty the exact numbers twenty six percent of the Phillies hits this postseason are home runs. And to put that in perspective, during the regular season of all teams, fourteen percent of major league hits left the yard. So that's nearly twice the major league average we saw. So. I mean, they're just on this ungodly home run pace that, wow, it seems like they're unstoppable. I do think that there's some level of like unsustainable uh, aspect, I guess, to to the fact that they have hit this many home runs this frequently. And it's at Citizens Bank where the ball, we know it flies there and we know the Phillies like to hit there and everyone likes to hit there. 
I, I do wonder if, you know, they can just catch them on the right day where some of those home runs are, are fly balls that die at the track and you're able to scatter the, the hits otherwise. Again, 26% of their hits are automatic runs. They're leaving the yard. So if there's some way that that can just naturally slow down in this series, I think the D-backs offense can pick up. But to your point, what it all kind of boils down to now is not being able to get that split in Philly. It feels like even if they do fight back here, once it goes back to Philly, and you know it's kind of a wrap there. But I think the goal is to just get this thing back to Philly. Uh, and, and I think, to your point, they can do that. Uh, and they their bullpen is somewhat rested too, as they're going to have you know a lot of their their main guys ready to go in the next ball game, and which will be a must win. Of course, you can't go down three zip and you know two one. You're one game away from tying it back up again. So it's you know the one game at a time thing. But you know the D backs are it's it's going to be all out next ball game, both from a bullpen standpoint, both from a hitting you know standpoint, and on maybe how much more locked in and desperate they're going to be on the offensive side. I, I think we're going to see everything they've got next ball game. So it should be fun. I retweeted this on my Twitter in this postseason. The Phillies have hit 17 home runs and only allowed eight runs in this postseason. Phillies pitching has 51 strikeouts, four walks. That's insanity. Insanity. And just talking about the ballparks a little bit longer. I think the old Phillies might have a little bit of issues on defense, right? Because the Diamondbacks do have an historically good defense. And the park at Chase Field, the outfield is super, super big. So that speed in the outfield against the old Phillies would be a huge edge for Arizona. However, Bryce Harper playing first base now allows Schwarber to DH. Yeah. Then you move Brandon Marsh to left. Johan Rojas in center. And yeah, Castellanos isn't the best defender in right field. And when I say isn't the best, it's the nicest way to say it. Yeah. But they can still go get it, especially Rojas and especially Brandon Marsh. Yeah, no, it makes a big difference. So that edge that they had, it's a little bit null and void. Yeah. So I keep trying to figure out ways that the Diamondbacks can stay in this. He's got a swing. Like Brandon fought looked good in his last start, but you're right. He's got a home run issue against the Phillies. <laughs> and I'm like, well, the outfield is really big, right? It's hard to get him out of the ballpark. These Phillies home runs are not wall scrapers. Yeah. Going 430. When your leadoff hitter hits a ball 117 miles an hour. Yeah, maybe that was just right at the top of the wall. Nah, 117. Okay, so it's a double or yeah. it's still probably going out. Like this is just a different beast. The Phillies are a different beast. I it's baseball. Anything can happen. I'm still going to give one to the D backs, but I don't know when it's coming on. Hey, it's interesting. Maybe the Taiwan Walker start. Oh God. If they start them <laughs> game four. I don't know when it's going to happen. It's Rangers, a dog. Like yeah. what? We big Ranger. No, that, that's the thing. I think they, it's going to take the bats just going nuts. The one nuts. thing that is interesting with, with Brandon Fodd is, yes, the ERA is higher at home, but seven home runs in 46 innings at home, 15 home runs in 50 innings on the road. So uh, maybe maybe that'll kick in. The sport is so weird, man, that Look it's at us, like figuring it out. Yeah, D-backs, D-backs win game three somehow. Yeah. <laughs> somehow with, with 20 flyouts to 325 feet off of Brandon Fott. But like it is, it's going to be really fascinating. This sport's so weird, though, that like the guy that gives up a bunch of home runs against the team on a historic home run pace will somehow not give up home runs. But uh, regardless, I do think that the D-backs bats are going to wake up at home. As you mentioned, the better numbers at home and, and all of that good stuff. But also just the fact that there's a level of desperation. And, and finally, they're not running into... Guys pitching like aces, even though Suarez has been awesome, it's it's a different level. And also, he's not going to be stretched out to six or seven, more likely to go four or five. I do want to highlight Schwarber real quick, because the pitch that he hit for his second home run is absolutely insane. I mean, to hit that pitch, which was a changeup down and away, to hit that out straight away to right field, right center, 427, that's one of the best swings I think I've seen this year. I think that we've seen this year. And Jack mentioned it last episode. He's like, I think that home run that he hit, even though it was grooved from Gallon, like it's like a shooter seeing one go through at the free throw line after like a cold streak. I think he's going to get rolling. And holy crap, 
it's not just that he hit another home run and then hit another one. It was that swing specifically that showed me, okay, this guy's locked in. I mean, again, change up, just fading away from him in a perfect location on the outside corner. And he gets enough of that to hit it to right center out 430. Like that is, that's a guy that's feeling it. And when Schwarber's feeling it, as you know, you might as well just put him on. But you're going to put Harper on too. You're going to put Trey Turner on as well. It's it's yeah. a really wild setup. And Schwarber in the leadoff spot is exactly why I think he's going to keep going nuts. You can't pitch around him. You got to go after him. And it's a perfect spot for him to be in when he knows that. And that's why he continues to ambush. It's It's going to be really tough to get this guy out the rest of the series. And potentially in the world series too, if they keep going. Yeah. The same thought too. If he's going shit, you know, because Harper's going, he, he's been invisible this entire series. It's kind of like with the Rangers. If we start to see Marcus Semyon going, everyone else is fucked. Like these guys who are so good, who are integral parts of the lineup being invisible while their team is not losing a game and covering every run line, winning by five. If they start to get going, it's just over because it's too much. You can't pitch around everybody. Everybody's hot. doesn't matter. Like we could say, oh, like this pitcher is great. This bullpen guy is great. It doesn't matter. The only guy that can get any of these guys out is Brian Abreu. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) And then Presley. But you know what I'm saying, though, too? It's. These lineups, if Semyon gets going, you're going to see them look a lot like the Phillies do right now with Schwarber going. Another guy I really want to highlight. Now, Alec Bohm hasn't been prolific at the plate, right? He had a big-time hit in this game, you know, drove in a couple of runs, nice double to left center. But the defense from Alec Bohm, wild, right? He made two incredible plays by the fourth inning. And then had a couple more. And this has just been a common theme for him. And this is from John Morosi saying from he made immense strides defensively. And he's been working with one of the great infield coaches in Bobby Dickerson. And if we remember the Alec Bohm redemption arc went from saying, I hate this place, or at least that's what it sounded like. like I hate it here. Something like that is what it I hate like. it here. Then went on a run and now hits fourth is a vacuum over there at third. He's got to absolutely love this place. But in terms of defense, I wish Bobby Dickerson would work with Trey Turner a little bit. Yeah. His fourth error in the postseason. It's weird. This has been a common theme with Trey Turner. We had this exact same conversation when he was on the Dodgers, consistently booting easy balls. Like that first error on that Carroll ball that, you know, hit off the mound. It was a tough hop. Sure. Alec Bohm is gobbling up those hops, yeah. going in on balls, not letting those hops beat him. Trey Turner. I mean, you're way too good to be doing that. And it's been consistent throughout the playoffs. This has kind of been consistent throughout the playoffs is in, in his entire playoff career. Yeah. But then I think he's hitting a thousand. Yeah. And I don't have the stats backed up. I think he's hitting a thousand after every time he makes an error. He makes an error, then comes back to the dugout. It hits a freaking nuke. So it's like, okay, it's cool. But going into the World Series, which we assume they'll be in, the margins are thin, right? If they face the Rangers, if they face the Astros, like you can't be making those errors. Diamondbacks are one thing. The Rangers or the Astros are going to eat you alive if that continues. So Trey Turner's got to clean it up on him. I didn't know it was bad all year, which is interesting. Uh, negative 10 defensive run saves, negative in the outs above average department. It, it, I, I was going to ask you that. I'm like, can't you see him making like a critical error in, in the yeah. World Series? Like, I hope not, but it's it's a little worrisome at this point. Like, it seems like he's just, just not right. And I do wonder because, again, he's not going to be getting any younger. This is a down-the-line conversation, but Bryson Stott, is a you know, shortstop by trade. That's what that's what he came up as, and and he was a good one. I I have scouting reports written on him where I gave him like a fifty five on the glove, but I thought it was borderline plus. And at second base, he's been an elite defender. I do wonder not not now, of course, not in the postseason, but next year or the year after that. I wonder if we see an old flip flop between those two because you know Stott's only getting younger, or sorry, Stott's so much younger and only getting better defensively in general. And he again graded out elite 
at second base, both from a range department and defensive run saved. I wonder if they'll flip-flop them at a certain point. But I'll I'll tell you what, that's something that you don't do usually with your $300 million player. If he boots a couple more in the postseason and in a big spot, I'm sure it'll be a conversation in the offseason. Obviously not rooting for that. And, and as you mentioned, net positive because he seems to not only hit all the time, but specifically yeah. whenever he he makes those mistakes and he has just been so good offensively. Life might be easier for him if they just move him uh, to second base and flip-flop these guys. But uh, the last thing I wanted to say on this on this matchup here and kind of where it sends us going into the next ball game is who's stepping up, Peter? Because Gabriel Moreno, you know, he was the hottest hitter on the planet. He did have a hit in this game, but I think he's dealing with a hand. Like he definitely has had that hand knocked around twice now. He had to come out of the game. Like it's hard to hit with, with a bad hand like that. And I think it's his top hand. I don't know. I mean, that would be my answer if he was healthy. Who's stepping up for this lineup? I mean, you, I'm not going to let you say Corbin Carroll because he's been good otherwise. Could tell Marte again, good here. Like, is Christian Walker going to step up? Like, who are they going to get something from if they're going to be able to get this offense rolling? It has to be Christian Walker. Now, Christian Walker has been an absolute vacuum over there at first base. The picks he's making. Uh, he had, he had that, that one split pick with that was that was gross. And he just gobbles up every ground ball. I mean, no wonder he's a perennial gold glove winner over there, but he's got to hit 36 home runs during the regular season. You have to hit an arm. I'm going to say this sentence and I want it to sit with our listeners and I want it to sit with you for a second. Tommy Pham hits third. I know. I was. I, that was the next thing I was going to say. Tommy <laughs> Pham hits third. Yeah. With all due respect... Tommy Pham on a playoff team should be hitting eighth. Who's better, Brandon Marsh or Tommy Pham? Brandon uh, Marsh. Yeah, Brandon Marsh. Right, bare margin. And yeah, defensively like, and just he's just more dynamic. And no, and and that's not a slight, right? Gabby Moreno's a good hitter. Christian Walker's a good hitter. Like they have good hitters in the lineup, but with a runner on second base, like Tommy Pham's coming up. And I know Tommy Pham was instrumental to getting this team to the postseason. He's mm-hmm. a veteran leader in the clubhouse. He's a glue guy, kept this team together, and he's had a great postseason up to this point. But if he gets cold, he just cannot hit third because a cold Tommy Pham is a bench bat, not a even a six or seven guy. He's a bench bat. That's cool. why he's been tossed around in this league. Yeah, and if it, if they were facing a lefty, I could understand him in the three spot a little it. bit more because he demolishes lefties. But, I mean, this guy's over his last 12 now, uh, and and that's righty, righty, righty. Uh, I mean, that's – here. here's the thing, though. Guess guess what they're going to get next ballgame? A lefty. So, yeah. Tommy Pham would be the answer, too, right? Here's your lefty, man. You've been hitting in the middle of the order. You're over your last 12. No one's hitting. It's not just you, but you crush lefties. That's why we brought you in here. Can you come up big? So, yeah, I, I mean, Christian Walker's definitely the main answer is a guy that's been the slugger for them all year. But fam, to your point, he's, he's hitting in the three spot or wherever they're going to put him. I, I assume he stays there against a lefty. That's a guy that's got to step up next ball game. He had that four hit game against the Dodgers. He followed that up with another two hit game. And then he's been hitless since then. Here's your lefty. Let's see what you can do. Uh, I think fam's a big X factor going into that next game as well. Uh, if they're going to try to match any, you know, anything that the Phillies do offensively. One last point as we wrap up. Um, Trey Turner quote on the Phillies offensive approach. Don't overthink it. Keep it simple. Get a good pitch to hit and put a good swing on it. Sometimes we forget that, especially with all the mechanics and everything. Kevin Long is such a stud. Kevin Long, the hitting coach for the Philadelphia Phillies simplifying the approach, see ball, hit ball, not putting too much information in these guys' heads and just trusting their swings. They're all geared to hit bombs, and that's all they're doing. You could tell the Phillies at the bank, they have the energy behind them. They don't have a care in the world. See ball, hit ball. Mm. It's an amazing strategy, and no (laughs) wonder this team is undefeated at the bank. Yeah, well, this is the time of the season, too, where it's like, you got to trust that all the work you put in and, and all of your feels that you have in the box and your mechanics are, are going to translate. And, you know, trying to find a feel or try to find something now is only going to make the moment even bigger. So I, I love that, especially in the playoffs for a team that's been there 
a team that I think is already a little bit more comfortable than their opponent, now even more comfortable and having that lower heart rate and just, again, just being able to stay stoic with that crowd and you know that's going to put a lot more pressure on the other team and simplify things. And then you got your two horses on the mound. It's easy to understand why they've been tough to beat so far this postseason. My final, final point before we move (laughs) on to Rangers Astros. I wanted your opinion on this. During the broadcast, all they're talking about is complaining about the Diamondbacks not stealing, right? Corbin Carroll gets on first base. Cattell Marte gets on first base. And all they're saying is the Diamondbacks, they make their money off stealing bags, being aggressive, right? Corbin Carroll, 54 stolen bases. This team is built on the base pass, speed and defense. That's how they got here, and they weren't doing it. And I was like, are we not going to give any credit to the Phillies pitchers, right? Varying leg lifts, holding on the mound. And it's really hard to run on a guy like JT Realmuto, who's such a demon behind the home behind home plate. Like, it's not as easy as they were just letting on. They were like, just go. Like, of course, if Corbin Carroll felt that he could go, he would go, right? But they're giving him so many different looks. And then if he doesn't get a perfect jump, you got one of the best pop times in baseball behind that plate. Like, it's not just, they were acting as if it's so easy. Yeah. And I'm like, can we give the battery some credit here? They were doing an incredible job of slowing down the Diamondbacks. I don't know if you had a, an opinion no, on that one. I, I think it's really interesting, too, because they're also playing from behind. So it's like if you don't feel like you've got a high, high probability of stealing that bag. You, but to you their credit, go. it was in the first inning before a run was even scored when Corb Carroll did get on base from that error. That's when it was really coming up. But still, I, I think, yeah, I think you got to give credit to You don't think the Phillies game plan going into this series was – Hey, let's, let's keep them from, you know, getting on the move here. Let's keep them from getting those free 90 feet. And, you know, let's use our, our, one of the best catchers in baseball and arguably one of the the best, I would say in terms of catch and throw, I I'll take him up there with anybody. And I know the pop times pretty much perpetually been the best. Like, yeah, you got to give credit to the Phillies and, and Aaron Nola and, and Wheeler for, for holding runners better than they did all year. And I, I think you can see it, you know, game to game. I'm with you. Absolutely. And before we move on to Rangers Astros, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit us with that like button and comment anything that we've said egregious so far, anything you agree with, and hit that red subscribe button. We're breaking down every game across the playoffs. And just another thank you to all of you listening on audio. Rangers Astros, Max Scherzer takes the mound after a month of not pitching against the demon that is Christian Javier in the playoffs. Aram. Since the 2022 postseason started, Christian Javier has a 0-7-1 ERA. We remember the combined no-hitter, and using Jeff Passan's words, he regressed in his last start against the Twins, only allowing one hit in five shutout innings. However, he's got a pretty tough battle going up against the hottest offense in major league baseball maybe outside of the phillies i don't know they're both juggernauts forgive me they're both scoring dead i don't know who's hotter but the texas rangers at home how do you see this game ended up uh it is really interesting because like right right off the cuff dude i want to say okay scherzer rusty we'll see what he has other side javier looked unbelievable in his last outing and you know, again, the whole postseason allure and the fact that the Astros need this one. I mean, it's it's do or die Yeah, at this point with it being two zip. So, of course, and I think a lot of people are going to be saying uh, this could go either way. What I think is interesting, and I think what a lot of people are going to be leaning towards, hey, I'm going to go with the Astros. They're fighting for their lives. They have the pitching advantage as we would perceive it. Again, you mentioned guy that hasn't thrown in a long time. It was Literally didn't get to rehab, had to just jump right back into it. And then Javier throwing the way he's throwing. Leo Morgenstern, one of our editors of Just Baseball, put out a really good piece breaking down why Javier is actually a tough matchup for, uh, or excuse me, why the Rangers are actually a tough matchup for Javier. Because Javier is going to have to lean on that slider heavy. I mean, we saw how much he threw that slider last time out. And the Rangers were actually the best team in terms of run value against a slider in the entire American league last year. So it is a good mm-hmm. matchup for the Rangers relative to other teams. And it is a tough one for Javier. That said, 
when Javier Swider is working again, it was one of the best pitches in baseball, even in this year where he had his ups and downs. So usually the, the elite pitch will outdo the elite lineup against said type of pitch. But that said, like this is the one matchup where red hot offense has been great against sliders all year. It's going to be interesting to see if, if they can kind of, you know, buck the trend here with Javier. That said, I am really curious what version of Max Scherzer we're going to get. That said, like I'm holding myself back from being automatically, oh, it's definitely the Astros. It all makes sense. It all lines up. And a big part of that is what Leo Morgenstern got into in this you know piece on JustBaseball.com about how well they match up against sliders. I, I read that piece too. I thought it was great. And you can, we'll link that down below in the episode description for you guys all to read. It's a, it's a really, really good piece. And I read it and I still have the utmost faith in Christian Javier as well, because Leo didn't really mention when it's Javier's fastball up the zone playing off that slider. Right. And I think we're all sitting here. Our last watch of this Rangers offense was beating the living piss out of Framber Valdez but we can't forget that Justin Verlander also tossed a gem, yeah, right? Sure. Just Jordan Montgomery pitched better. So I do think that this Astros team is going to come out hot. And I'm not out here saying that Christian Javier is going to replicate his no hitter. But I think the Astros are really going to get to Scherzer. The last time that the Astros faced Scherzer bludgeoned him for yes. six earned in three innings. And we saw what Max Freed looked like. And that was only 17 days. And that was due to a blister, right? Maybe Max Scherzer comes out and he's fully right. Throwing 97 and it's typical Max Scherzer. He's got a mid threes ERA and about a billion innings in the playoffs because he's been here, done that. But he hasn't looked his best this season. And being that rusty against this Astros team. And it's so funny. The Astros are such a strange team at home this year. They went 39 and 42 on the road. They were 51 and 30. They have gone into Arlington and dominated the Rangers in the regular season. And the Rangers also though are 50 and 31 at home, 40 and 41 away. So this is a great home team, but the Astros have had their number. And while I do think Javier scatters one or two runs, I think we're going to see three or four from Scherzer. I don't even yeah. think, and I have a hot take. I don't think he makes it out of the fourth inning. I think uh, it's going to be an early exit for him against a desperate Astros offense. And so I think the Astros have the edge in this game. I think they win game three, but then I think that's kind of where the edges end. And then I would start leaning back to the Rangers because we've seen that Jordan Montgomery isn't afraid of the moment. We've seen that, and it might be Heaney. We we just got to see what happens in game four, what the matchup is, because it might be Heaney versus France. I mean, that's an over. <laughs> I was like, this is low-key an over, I think. This I, might be an over. I, I think this might be an over because they're going to make Javier work at the very least. I, I don't think that they're going to be expanding the zone the same way that you know we, we saw the Twins doing against him. And and I do think that there's going to be some, some different aspects to maybe the way that they approach you know, Javier and the way that they're able to kind of grind him out. Uh, I, I do think that he's going to have that fastball at the top, like you mentioned, but a big part of his success last time out was the slider. I mean, a majority of the strikes and, and whiffs that he got were, was on that slider. And I can't wait to see what happens. I do have the same concern with Scherzer because he's made three starts since September 1st. And one was against the twins Another was against the Astros, which you mentioned. Another was against the Blue Jays. Two of those starts were actually really good. The one against the Twins and the one against the Blue Jays. Six scoreless, five scoreless. That start against the Astros was three innings. He gave up three bombs, six hits, seven earned, as you mentioned. And they just saw him recently. I mean, that taste has still got to be in his mouth. Again, that's his second most recent start. I I wonder, I just wonder how he's going to be able to battle out there and what he's going to look like. It might be a short leash. They may have Heaney on a piggyback. They may have somebody else kind of working out of there. So I'm very curious to see how they use him, how long of a leash he has. And to your point, I think even if he, th- if, if he throws pretty well, I don't know if he's going much more than four or, or, or three. They might not want to turn the lineup over, especially if the outs are loud and he escapes. So 
This is going to be a really interesting test for Bruce Bochy to see how he's going to manage his bullpen because you're not going to tell your your Hall of Famer who you traded for, hey, we don't want you to pitch game three even though you're healthy now. Like you're gonna you're gonna ride that horse. You're gonna you're gonna go down with the Hall of Famer like the Mets did, and you know the, the postseason as well. Of of course, he was throwing well at that time, but I think Bochy's the kind of guy that he's going to line up with his Hall of Famer and go. And that said, I think you do that with a short leash. So. I'm fascinated to find out who the piggyback's going to be, how they're going to go about that. Because even if Scherzer's on, don't think it's going to be easy. The the Astros don't make it easy. They grind out at bats and make you throw pitches. So it, it should be a tough test for him, especially right after they knocked him around. On the other side, though, you you are all in on another Javier masterclass. He's done it too many times at this point. He is so damn good. And the velocity is back. Like, That's the big thing. You know who was a pretty good team against sliders? The Phillies. Twins are pretty good against them, too. Not to the level of the Rangers. But what? They get four hits this time? Like, he is a different beast. And maybe the Rangers are just so damn good that it doesn't matter. That they get their home runs. They scatter base hits. And they're just that good. But Javier's numbers in the playoffs are them. Like, let me, let, I, I don't have them in front of me. I, I just exit out of my thing. It's like a one-ish ERA in the playoffs. I mean, these last three starts have been unbelievable. And these aren't oh. against like piss poor offenses. Like, right, you got it right in front of you. It's, yeah, it's, it's insane. It's a one nine one ERA and thirty seven and two thirds innings, fifty seven punch outs. It's just another beast, and a lot of those innings have come out of the bullpen. But the lime, like the the show, the bright lights, they don't bother him. He's standing there on the mound, just I'm ready to go after you, and that's what you need in this type of start on the road. I think he shoves. I don't think he doesn't allow a run but I think he allows one, two, and I think Scherzer allows three or four. And that's how I think the Astros take the lead and win this game. I just think he's going to outduel Scherzer early. And that that I'm with you. I do think he he ends up probably outdoing Scherzer. 16 and a thirds consecutive scoreless innings in the postseason for Christian Javier. That comes against, that's starting from uh, 2022 in his second outing. Five and a third scoreless against the Yankees. Then six scoreless in the World Series, of course, that was hitless as well uh, against the Phillies. And then what we just saw very recently, the five scoreless with nine Ks against the twins. So, I mean, to your point, he is rolling and, and this is some of the best. This is one of the best stretches we've seen in the postseason. He's going to continue to do it. So, um, so it's I, like, we, we say, Oh, this feels like an over, right? Oh, I, I ain't betting on an over at all. The air start. Like he, he might, Throw another no-hitter. Like, he has done this against great offenses and just dominated them. Not just, oh, like he got his ground balls. No, no, no. He's just buzzing fastballs by people. Two hits in his last 16 and a thirds postseason innings. Two hits. And just to go over the numbers, like the quality of contact numbers, because Javier has faced the Rangers, like beyond, obviously, the postseason. In 139 plate appearances, opponent batting average of 244. In 170 against the Astros' current roster, Scherzer's opponent batting average, 287. And the quality of contact numbers are saying that the Astros hit Scherzer harder. Scherzer rusty versus Javier in a must-win? I got to go with the Astros here. Yeah, But the Rangers could be so damn good that you throw every number out the window and you say, screw it, they're just a juggernaut. And that's why I cannot wait to watch this game. I know, that's why I'm so excited. Uh, But again, yeah, the conventional, like, what what everything kind of tells me is that the Astros find a way. And, and this team just, they never falter, right? I mean, they, they just always seem to climb back into it when, when they somehow do drop the first game or two, it just never seems like they're swallowed by the moment. This is they're a different. team that they're, they're, they're different. They've been there. They've done that. So I, I do think that they are very unfazed by being down to zero and going to, to Texas. I don't think they give a shit and I, I think, think they're they going to be just either. fine. So, no, but, but also the mentality, like the Rangers are like, we're just going to keep punching this team in the mouth. And then the Astros are like, come and get us. We're still yeah, the Astros. Like Nate Diaz. Like, they're just going like to keep that, eating them. 
like you could tell the Diamondbacks look like the moment got to them a little bit. Neither of these teams, the moment is getting to either of them. I mean, Corey Seager's a World Series MVP, yeah. right? Marcus Semyon has been here, right? He doesn't have a ton of postseason experience, but he's a veteran. Yeah, like, yeah. the only rookie on this team is Evan Carter, and he does not give a shit about no. the moment. He's having a blast. So it's like there's no edge in terms of a mentality on either side. They're both rock solid. So it's like, for me, I'm just looking into the numbers. Yeah, Javier has been objectively a playoff juggernaut. Scherzer's coming back from an injury. The home road thing, both Astros are this amazing road team. Rangers, this amazing home team. So throw that out the window. Let's just look at the starters. Who do we have more faith in? Javier, who's been the most dominant postseason pitcher in his last three outings, or Scherzer returning from an injury who doesn't have a great past against the Astros. That's why for me, I'm rolling with the Strohs in game three, but in game four, it's going to be a bludgeoning of offenses on both sides if I think the two starting pitchers that we're going to see end up taking the bump. And the other interesting thing is that you have – I still think that this will be a weaker start for Javier relative to what we're used to recently in the postseason. If that's the case, again, I think it's somewhat inevitable that Scherzer struggles. Bullpen battle? Give me – I mean, give me the Astros. I, I, I'm sorry. I know that the Rangers' bullpen has been really good of late, but – you know, LeClerc was kind of an escape artist over his 24 pitches last time out. Uh, Chapman, I mean, we, we've seen it, man. And the Astros love it when when Chapman comes in. I can tell you that. And Spores has been awesome, but they've pretty much thrown him every single game they can. So it, we'll, we'll see. I, I'll tell you what, I got a lot more confidence in Abreu and Presley and, and just all the different guys that they have in that bullpen. Or It's going to be all hands on deck. Again, you cannot go down three zip. So this is going to be the A-team bullpen coming out of here, too. So. I I am also excited about the manager off. I mentioned it in the last episode. And again, this is where you like, who has the edge? They're both world champion managers and they're both just the guys that stick to their guns. It This is as even of a series that is 2-0, I think, as you can find. And that's probably why the Astros will find a way to, to, to grab this, this game three here and make this thing interesting. And we will see. Tune in 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you all for listening again. Make sure to get your Just Baseball merch. I am rocking my sick cream fanatic hat. But I also, of course, got a Just Baseball tee on. Arms rocking his Just Baseball hat. Get yours in the episode description. All of this is brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Use promo code Just Baseball for all of those bonus bets. We'll be back tomorrow. That's Arm. I'm Peter. And with that, thank you, everybody. Thank you.